Hey friends, this is Holly Bame Lytle, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's panel of exceptional autism parents. All right, welcome to this episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast. These guys are already being funny and laughing around me, which makes it really hard to even like concentrate on what we're talking about today. Um, so maybe this will be a funny topic, um, autism and divorce. Maybe, maybe not, not so much. But um, anyway, so that is our topic today. Um, when... <laughs> And one of our guests is over there adding to the uh, the podcast episode. If only we were videoing, then that would have been like perfect. But the topic today is autism and divorce. And we've talked about this intermixed um, other conversations that we've had along the way on Isaac's um, podcast series. I don't... I, I think that Bonnie says it best, and she's not here with us today, but one of the things that was the most depressing for them is when their first son got diagnosed with autism. Part of the diagnosis was, and 80% uh, of marriages end in divorce when you have a child with autism, so good luck with you. And she was just like, oh my God, my kid has autism, and now I'm going to be divorced. And uh, But the sad reality is, is that yes, there is a higher percentage likelihood of divorce when you have a child with autism, and then it also increases even more when you have a child, a second child with autism. So we're going to go around the horn and we'll talk a little bit about like family dynamics and how divorce has um, impacted your family. I can go ahead and start because everybody knows that I'm Holly with Isaac Foundation and I have um, had four children. My first son Isaac was diagnosed with autism and he passed away in 2007. And then my son who I had after Isaac passed away was Caleb and then he went on to be diagnosed with high functioning autism. And we managed to stay married for a while after that. But our circumstance was a little bit different because there's also some other wonderful statistics out there that say when you lose a child, then the uh, likelihood of divorce after you lose a child is like 97%. Um, and so, um, yeah, so it was kind of um, you know, we stayed married for a lot longer than we probably should have because we thought that our kids and family had already been traumatized enough because of uh, Isaac's passing. And so we felt like we needed to try and make our marriage work um, for the benefit of the kids. And so we stayed married a lot longer than we probably should have. And um, so I have a lot of very positive things to say about being divorced because I will say that I think that um, we're definitely better parents that were divorced in terms of, um, you know, he worked a lot and was gone a lot from home. And so then that left me feeling more like a single parent. And I had a lot of resentment over that because, you know, I was dealing with all the day-to-day child-rearing, plus then all of the therapies and everything like that. And then he would, you know, come home and get to be the fun dad and, um, or would do the, Hey, I had a really crappy day. Everybody go downstairs and I just need some downtime, which didn't really work out because the kids wanted to spend time with him. And so now that we're divorced, there's very specific times when my ex-husband gets to spend with the kids and then the times when they're home. And so it's actually better because the kids actually have a better relationship with their dad um, because there's that planned time where they're with him. So 
Um, and I think we're just, you know, we still co-parent well and are on the same page most of the time. I think it's impossible to be on the same page all of the time. Um, but for us, it was, you know, when we ended up getting a divorce, it was, you know, um, I mean, it's still hard and there's a lot of garbage that goes on with divorce, but all in all, like, um, I don't, think that, you know, we're both better people. And I think the kids would say that they actually prefer having divorced parents, um, not just because they think that that means that you get twice the holidays, you get two birthdays, two Christmases, two Thanksgivings, so much and so forth. But I mean, that's definitely not a bonus. But for, for the two younger ones, Caleb and Kelly, you know, they just like being able to have that more time with their dad that they weren't getting when we were uh, married. So let's talk about Michelle. Michelle, let's talk about your family situation. So ours is a little bit of an interesting dynamic. Um, so I have my two older boys um, that my 13-year-old is my son with ASD, and then I have a neurotypical almost 15-year-old, and then I have two younger kiddos with uh, my ex-husband. So things are a little bit um, interesting in the way of having to co-parent with two dads oh, yeah. versus having my current husband, who's not a parent to any of the kids. I say parent, but I should say a biological parent, parent yeah. to either any of those kids. And he doesn't have any children at all. Not. So his whole parenting experience is just your children, <laughs> which is super fun because we've talked about, and he's come and been on a couple podcasts with us too. So it's oh always my fun gosh. to talk about that. <laughs> well, I will say that Probably the first time he met my youngest son was when he was really sick and was trying to talk to him. Oh, I him. love the story. Tell the story. Oh, my gosh. Just the worst timing ever. But my um, youngest, who's now sick, had gotten really, really sick, um, just out of the blue. High fever, not feeling good, super lethargic. And I did not have time to text my now husband when we were dating to give him the heads up, like, hey, sick kid, you may not want to come over, whatever. But he showed up. And so we're just kind of sitting there in the dark, and I'm just rubbing my son's back and kind of trying to get him to feel better and explaining the situation of why he's not feeling good. And he, you know, gets down his face. He's like, hey, bud, how you doing? You know, do you need anything? And right as my son sat up to talk to him, just projectile vomited right in his face, open <laughs> his mouth, mouth and everything. Mouth and everything. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, it was mm -hmm. awful. We literally froze for a second and just everybody bolted. I pick my son up. We go straight to the sink. He starts throwing up more. My now husband runs off to the bathroom to profusely rinse out his mouth. And I was like, well, oh if he can God. handle that and not leave, this man is not going anywhere. Gosh. Like he, I would have married him fast, too, because like, <laughs> you can't let that guy get away. That's amazing. And he is. Like, not having a background in special needs, not having a background just in this world, like, he is such a champ to take on as much as he does. Because one of the biggest things he talks about is how hard it is to parent a kid that you don't have anything in common with. Yeah. And so him having to get down on Aiden's level... Because I think when we first started dating, he was really trying to get Aiden into sports, and Aiden does not care a lick for sports at all. Does not matter anything about it. But if you want to talk about Pokemon, Roblox, Minecraft, sure, we can talk about that all day, every day. And so having to find things to get on his level, I mean, he has just navigated this world so very, very well. But through our um, autism path, we mine was a little bit of an interesting dynamic is that my divorce was happening as we were getting our diagnosis. Oh. And so I was simultaneously navigating, you know, all of the therapy appointments here and then also having to navigate the world of divorce with my ex-husband. Um, so you weren't aware time. of that statistic about the height? Oh, you did not know about that I did statistic. not. Probably best you didn't know, right? Probably, so. but I think based on everything that we had gone to prior to that, that that was, I mean, first of all, the best thing that could have ever happened to me. But um, 
knowing how well my kids thrived after the fact, because, you know, it's always like when somebody gets fired at work. As soon as that person is gone, you start hearing all the stories that you yeah. wish you would have known while that person was still there. And, I mean, to this day, I still can't tell Aiden all the details of why the divorce happened, because of a lot of it was centered around that situation and centered around... Um, things in the household of him not being able to handle the autism or the behaviors that we were going through. Um, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that when you already feel like you're a single parent in that world, that um, at that point, our situation was not one where I could have just st stayed in for the kids, but I've definitely done that in the past. And um, I think now we co-parent a lot better yeah. than we ever did during that time. And that's taken many years to get through the anger, the hurts, like, the feeling of being alone for through so very much that even now when I started dating my husband, it was like, you need to understand that, you know, if you're coming into this situation, this is not a, you know, it's just a you and me for the long haul. And, you know, we're going to find a nice retirement place to be in. But you need to understand that this world is you, me and Aiden for life. Yes. Cause I can't guarantee that Aiden's ever going to be able to live on his own. I can't guarantee that I'm going to be able to find him a good place where he can have an apartment, having a job, remember to pay bills, like be self-reliant. So you need to understand if we're buying a house together or we're moving into a place for the long term that there needs to be enough bedrooms to accommodate the three of us. Yeah, that's absolutely something to consider is because, you know, you, you know, I didn't even, you know, it, it wasn't dating or even like thinking forward to a relationship was really hard to do when you get divorced because it's not a normal life that you would be asking someone to sign up for. No. And again, like what you're saying, it's like, okay, so when I was divorced, I was planning for, I have to plan for retire. Even though I'm divorced, I should just be thinking about a retirement for one, but I'm actually still thinking about having to plan a retirement for two because, mm -hmm. you know, I hope that Caleb's going to be able to live all that, you know, independently. But the statistics tell us that of all the kids that are on the autism spectrum, and this is the entire spectrum, whether very significantly impacted, all the way up to um, those that are very, very, very high functioning. 85% um, of individuals on the spectrum live at home or with a caregiver for the span of their life. And the biggest factor is, is that they're unable to maintain full-time employment. And without full-time employment, you can't, you can't live, live on your own. You can't live on your own. And so that's, mm -hmm. those are the realities that go through your mind. And I have a lot of families and um, I should say autism parents that chose to not be on this podcast episode, but a lot of them are not in really not in healthy marriages, but they're choosing to stay married, married. And in some of those instances, they're married with just, but live very d independent lives, but they're staying married because of some of these factors. And so, um, and yeah, because again, you know, the thought does cross your mind. Are you ever going to be able to find someone that's going to be on board for signing up for all of this? I call it my shit show. Like, you know, I got a lovely shit show going on, but it takes a special person and a special mindset to be able to say, yeah, put me in coach. I'm here, which you, and you did find that, which I'm. Well, and when we, so my husband and I had previously worked together many, many, many years ago, like before I even had four kids and um, just kind of reconnected on Facebook, but I had promised myself after my divorce, I was never getting married again. Yeah. I was never dating. I was never going to open my kids up to that situation because yeah. it was such a bad situation and a 
I mean, it was something I never would, would want my kids to go through to realize that there are people you just cannot trust. Yeah. Well, and too, you got to be careful when you got kids with autism and then just attachment issues anyway. You know, you have to be careful about who you introduce them to because mm -hmm. you don't want them to get attached to someone that's going to come and go um, or may not stick around. So, exactly right. Um, that's the other fun thing about divorce is that you can't control who your ex-husband dates and introduces and your children fall in love with. And then when it doesn't work out, you have to try and explain why this isn't like a forever thing. And so, um, yeah, that's all of those nuances of, um, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, there's your divorce decree and all the parameters of your divorce, but you almost wish that you could make some little parameters just for each other, just in terms of when you to introduce, introduce your kids to the, um, mm -hmm. the significant other, because, you know, um, you know, we're dealing with that right now where, um, you know, it didn't work out between my ex-husband and his significant other. And my kids fell in love with her kids. And it's really sad um, because, you know, Caleb doesn't have a whole lot of friends, but he really connected with these other two um, kiddos. And they are, I mean, this is very odd to say, but I've even had them spend the night at my house before because, you know, then when they want to have play dates with people that they enjoy, and it happens to be my ex's girlfriend's kids, it's kind of like, all right. I, we're, make it work. we're making a sleepover. And um, so then, yeah, it's really hard when those things don't work out and you got to navigate even some more complicated things. But when it's hard to kind of explain those different dynamics to a kid with autism, yeah. because um, in our situation, their dad had started seeing somebody that was just not a healthy relationship. And I was very adamant to like, we cannot introduce that person until we know this is the right fit. And she got involved and, had started telling them, oh, you can just call me mom. And I was like, nope. Oh, hey, yeah, nope. that's a hard that's, no. <laughs> that's absolutely not going to work for me or not calling them mom because they have a mom. Yeah. And it's me. Yeah. And I am that mom. And even to this day, like, that relationship did not work out, but they still talk about that person. And it's like, how do you explain to them, well, I don't know why you can't go see her because it's not a healthy fit. And, yeah. and so those are the really tough decisions and the tough conversations to have. And I'm very lucky that um, their dad is, I mean, he co-parents phenomenally because he just has taken a large step back. Mm -hmm. He understands that his, um, his strength is not in parenting. And it's number one reason why we didn't stay together is because, I mean, he's told me from day one that I am the better parent and I don't think he honestly wants to deal with the therapy and the appointments and the calls from the school and all the things that go in it. He's very happy with the, you know, once every other Saturday for eight hours a day. And that's where, and we co-parent phenomenally through that process because of that. And yeah. I mean, his significant other was even like, you need to go to court and fight for full custody. And he's like, they're never going to give it to me and I wouldn't want it in the first place. Yeah. And so it's, it's hard to, to navigate those roads, but luckily, you know, several years down the road, we're now at a good co-parenting place now. Yeah. But oh. yeah, I tell you, I don't think that you really kind of get to your good co-parent perspective like place until a year, 12 months after the official divorce is when mm -hmm. I feel like you actually start then getting into a sense of normalcy in my, I mean, that's just my perspective, but, um, from the date of divorce, because then you're, everything is final. You're not fighting over things anymore. The parenting plan mm -hmm. is already done. You're all of the numbers are figured out. And so then you have 12 months of just kind of getting used to like your new normal. And then I feel like it actually kind of gets better, but okay. So we have one other divorced dad that's with us today. So sh why don't you go ahead and like share with us what you're comfortable sharing about you, your situation with your divorce. 
Because we also have a parent with us that actually is still married. So I love to actually hear your perspective. <laughs> that one first. Exactly. Well, no, but I actually have some real specific questions actually for you, David, about because you are still married. Um, and so I actually have some questions about making that work too. So, all right. You're on that track. You said that word. What's that? Yeah, sounds like a good segue. <laughs> no, no, no. I want to start with my divorce parents here. So make sure you talk into the microphone so we get a good. So um, my son Cooper is 16 now. And uh, and I apologize for my lisp because I've had <laughs> recent oral surgery. I'm usually much more articulate than this. but uh, You're articulate. It's just yeah. you, you have your enunciation slightly yeah, different. So if you ever, if you have listened to any of our previous podcasts, this is still John podcasting. <laughs> he just sounds a little different because he's had some surgery. It's still John. <laughs> <laughs> David, I'm going to beat you with this microphone. No, but uh, so uh, Cooper's mom and I uh, divorced. Uh, we separated about three years ago. Been divorced since May of uh, last, well, this year. And um, I hope that that year thing is true. <laughs> the, the problem is, is that uh, I think if I had went to someone who would have looked, you know, and did a, a, sp a spreadsheet and said. You know, this is what's important to her. This is what's important to you. You know, do you have, is there an intersection of core values? You know, this, how, how does this work? I probably, probably would have said the same thing. You know, well, you shouldn't even get married. I mean, I would, that would have been a, a good choice would have been not to head down that path to start with. Now, that being said, have three wonderful kids. Uh, obviously, Cooper being the, uh, the uh, one on the spectrum, uh, uh, deeply in the spectrum. Uh, but um, co-parenting has been a challenge. I think it's getting better. Um, the problem I have sometimes is that um, I don't get a lot of information uh, from her side of things, and so I have to find it out through the siblings. Well, I kind of hate that whole situation because it feels like I'm working the siblings for information. It's uh, the telephone game. Yeah. It is, and I don't like that. I mean, I really don't, and I and I hate texts. Uh, I don't mind texting the kids, hey, be here this time, you know, well, yada, yada, but you know, to talk to them over a text is uh, so I, I can't get across what I what I would like to. Yeah, it's impersonal, absolutely. So, um, uh, I think that there's certain things that uh, Cooper's mom and I can can discuss, um, and there's some things that she just decides to make a decision about and doesn't let me know about. And there's times that I feel like I think that's kind of common women tend to make the decisions and then the guys just kind of have to live with I, you know I hate to say it but I'm I'm guilty of that very same thing absolutely this is my wheelhouse when it comes to making decisions mm -hmm. especially on therapy you know new medic medications and stuff like I'm just the like the, I, I'm mm -hmm. the decision maker and then I'll just let you know if and when I remember <laughs> I'm just really lucky that like my ex is like hey whatever you think because I don't know whereas you are you would like to be more part of that decision-making process? Well, the, the problem is, is that I feel like, you know, there's... <laughs> Speaking of the devil, there's one of my, <laughs> my kiddos right there. Okay. Um, so the problem I have is, is that there's uh, lots of alternative treatment modalities out there right now. And um, I feel like because of the, the divorce, uh, I don't want to be thrown in a bad light for trying something that someone would deem experimental, right? You know what I mean? Um, and with, and I would say that Washington, Oregon, and Colorado obviously led the, the the charge with this type of treatment I'm talking about. So. Are you talking about like the CBD debate? Yeah, correct. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, the, the issue is, is that you know I don't want to be in a situation where I'm attempting this, and I have an argument with her about that, and 
her using that ammo against me, right? Oh, because I have that this issue right well, now currently in my situation. You got any pediatrician? They're not gonna they're not gonna yeah. support that type of a treatment problem yeah. uh, program. So that's, that's one the, of the one issues. thing my ex and I will not agree on. He thinks that um, anything to do with marijuana, like CBD, is a gateway, and so he is vehemently against me using that with um, Caleb or my son Tyler, who has Tourette's. Um, with, you know, which is triggered by anxiety. And so he is vehemently against using CBD. And so you're absolutely right, because then it's like, do I or don't I? Do I do it under the radar? But then if something happens and he finds out, then what happens? Right. Well, my question is, so do you split custody or do you have sole custody or does she have sole well, custody? So it's, it's a, by the court records, it's 50-50. Mm-hmm. But the kids, because they go to school in East Valley, spend more time there. So a lot of times... Um, the time hasn't been an issue necessarily as far as, hey, uh, you know, the, the kids, I'm going out of town for my niece's wedding. I need you to watch Cooper, for example, because the other, the other two are old enough to, to handle it pretty much on their own. And my oldest son, really, a lot of the care for Cooper falls on him because he provides transportation, uh, provides, uh, you know, a lot of the stable things at home um, when his mom's out and about, which is great because because logan's a great kid of course but uh but you're seeing some of that kind of rolling out because now he's graduated from high school and he's working he's working and that's one of the long days and now all of a sudden it's you realizing really how much logan is providing for cooper you start realizing Mm -hmm. how much you've relied on that with now him working and not being able to pick him up from school or get him there because he starts you know early in the morning and it's construction based well the problem i have is is if if she knew that that something was going to happen you know, and knew a week ahead of time, instead of giving me a call the day before, a week ahead of time would be bad. I feel like that sometimes that's used against me uh, as punishment, right? I mean... Well, and I could say on my side, I'm guilty of that as well sure. because I... So we're different. I have sole custody. And so we're one, you know, eight-hour visitations every other weekend. So I am notorious for forgetting to communicate like how hard the week has been because that on his side, that interest is just not there. Yeah. Like, and I'm trying to be better about like, hey, I want to really bring you into this so you understand how hard this challenge is because, you know, Aiden might bring this up into a conversation that we're having a problem with a girl at school or, you know, he's really stressed out because of X, Y, and Z class and here's what's happening. And then when I get a, okay, cool, great. It's like, Okay. All right. Do you want to hear more? Yeah. Like, do you need to know more? So do I want to know how this might play guilty. out when he's with you. Yeah. Do you might? Do you want to know how that might come up in conversation when now all of a sudden there's a girl and we're having to have those conversations because that may potentially come up with you being his dad. He may be more comfortable talking about a girl. Oh yeah. Than with his mom. Yeah. Absolutely. So out of curiosity, before we switch over to David, were you when you received the autism diagnosis for Cooper? Were you aware of the statistic? the high probability for um, divorce for families who have children with autism? Or yeah, I knew it was, it, was, uh, it was significant. And, and uh, the doctor, actually, that we went to, um, it was, that in itself was an interesting, interesting situation. And the doctor uh, let us know, essentially, that, well, you know, he's never going to do this. He's never going to do that. He's going to have seizures. He's going to have this, going to have that. And, and I was, by the time we left, uh, I wanted to... I've never wanted to choke a lady out in my life, but I wanted to choke <laughs> her out. So, and, and the information she had was, you know, 30 years old. Of course, you know, most of us men, David, you probably agree with this. We want to jump into something. I want to know. You want to fix I it. I want to know the box, right? I want to mm-hmm. know what's in the box. How do, I, how do I fix the box? What do I need to throw in the box to fix it, right? Well, her information was, you know, from the 1950s or 60s. And it was like, you know, you need to do some research. And, you know, you call yourself a professional. All I need from you is to sign the paper. 
and give me Check the fucking the diagnosis I asked for. <laughs> I don't need you to give me your commentary because what your commentary is is bullshit. Yeah. So and it's not helpful. There goes the PG rating. <laughs> there just We've went now the, yeah, slipped yeah, right yeah, into that exactly. PG thirteen R rating. Yeah. All right, David. So you are our married dad that's here sitting at the table. When your kiddo um, introduced you and your family, just so that way people know it's David and. And you have two beautiful daughters. I'm David. I have two, most of the time, beautiful daughters. <laughs> uh, Morgan is on the spectrum, and she is almost 12 now. And as I was leaving the house, my wife reminded me, you know, you are married. <laughs> <Why> are you <laughs> Which podcast are you going to? I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. Yes, yes, yes. But now, so when Morgan got diagnosed, was it on your radar through either the provider or just research that you had done about the... I was wondering if it was the Isaac Foundation that informed me. I'm not sure. Oh, God. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Somewhere pretty early on, we were introduced to the statistic, yeah. So did it impact, I mean, did that impact some of your, because I, I have to be honest with you, I, I don't know what was more shocking, you know, I, I mean, I knew my son had autism, and I was like, you go through that whole grief process, but there was that whole element of then that knowledge about how hard it is on a marriage, because again, I will admit things weren't always, you know, super smooth, and so it's like, man, like, so you know, the potential that this is going to get harder because we have a child with special needs. Like, I don't know. It's hard. There, I had a lot of anger about that statistic alone. And then, of course, you know, I'm a very competitive, like, um, st you know, dig my deal, my heels in and just be like, oh, well, F that. I'm not going to be one of these fuckers, <laughs> you know, these statistics. You know what I mean? I'm just not going to be that person. Um, so how did that, how did you guys process that information? Did you have any negative, adverse feelings on that at all? I'm not sure that as um, a unit we addressed it. It was certainly something in the back of my mind. And I had the same thing you did. Well, like, I ain't going to be that statistic. Yeah. Um, I can say, however, and let me go on record in saying that I, there's a lot of these things that I'm sharing now that even a year ago I couldn't have shared because had she heard this, I'm not sure, you know, how she would have taken it. Whereas, like, she's done these amazing steps in the past year to where we can have this level of conversation. So I can say unequivocally that there were also times, though, that it was almost like maybe I can lean on this statistic because this is just getting really hard, oh, you know. Yeah. And, you know, the fact is it is, is 80%. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying this is on her. I'm just saying, you know, there's just so much. Almost like wouldn't it just be easier if we had joint custody and then we each would have a one week break, yes. you know, I mean, the, the notion of that sounded fantastic. Like, you know, cause even if I'm on a trip and I'm the one traveling, she's in it more than I am from a physical standpoint. But even when I'm traveling, I'm still in it cause I'm getting the updates on a daily basis. And there are times where I've worked, I've gotten to my hotel room and it's like, I don't even want to make the call and get the update, you know, oh, yeah. uh, because I know, what this is going to be like, but you're still engaged. Whereas like, but if you had separate custody, I don't even have to check in if I don't want to. Yeah. I mean, but this, I'm not saying this is rational. I'm saying these are the thoughts that go through your head. Cause it's not easy. And so you can understand why the statistic is there. Um, and quite frankly, I don't know how we've defied the odds on the statistic right now. Maybe I don't care to know. Yeah. It's just, the fact is that we have, and um, I so understand it from all in. what you guys in. have done that have actually significantly improved um, where you guys are and weathering the, the storm of parenting and marriage 
when you have a child mm -hmm. on the spectrum? Um, I'm going to say, you, it's definitely Isaac Foundation's Autism Mild podcast. I'm certain one of them is that, right? Obviously. You know what? I, <laughs> the, the, only the therapeutic the only value answer. of this, and we still need to get her in here because she has I a lot know. of valuable insights. She that, does. Yeah. Um, and she keeps telling me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So. Let's just say I don't know where she found the time to go down the road and see, taking the journey of this period of self-discovery and spiritual and emotional awareness, but she made the time because honestly – how much time do we have to really work on ourselves when we're engaged in this type of thing? But that, if you're asking how it happened, that's how it happened. We now have a channel of communication where we can say, you know, God, we are screwed. This is bullshit. You know, this, um, you know, this person's going to be with us for the rest of our lives and it's going to be a challenge and we're not okay with it. But at least we agree on that. We're, we're a unified front on that. Yeah. Whereas before, it's like, can we even say these things? Yes, because you feel bad about yeah. even like having feelings about it. I'm going to piggyback on this thought too, where you, um, so when I, when we finally um, separated um, I, and, and even like, like, cause we separated for the span of, so we separated in October. So that was like five years ago or six years ago. And then we were officially divorced by May. Um, oh my so God, we, same here. Yeah, it was very, very, That's very freakish. fast. But the thing about it was, is the reason why I hated the divorce wasn't the elements of the relationship ending. It was that I was so used to having my kids around all the time that I struggled with the fact that there was days where I didn't have the kids. And that was like bothersome to me because like I'm a bit of a control freak and nobody can be as good of a mom as me and he's going to mess something up or not do something the way that, you know, he should do it so that that way there's not like issues here or there. Um, but I very quickly found what you're talking about there is there was then after I got used to like, okay, so Thursday nights they're with their dad. And so then I would work and I would come home and then there was this remote control that turned on a TV and I could start watching like stuff what I you had never want to watch. thought I didn't, I, I had not watched TVs. I, I can't even tell you in how many years. Um, cause people would, you know, have water cooler talk or be talking about this, that, and the other on social media. And I had no idea what they're talking about. So I started watching TV and then that was just kind of like, oh my gosh. Then I started looking forward to Thursday nights because I would like binge watch Netflix. And then it came to that exact thing that you're talking about is that, you know, I could call and check in with the kids before bed or maybe not. And just, go to bed. And then those weekends when they were with their dad, it's like, okay, so, you know, yeah, I could, you know, like answer the 15 calls that I got from my daughter. Cause she would call like repeatedly because she has a lot of, you know, like anxiety and whatnot, or I could just decline the call and just let, let him figure him it out and it. be a dad and not. So then too, even when I go out on vacation and, you know, I'm out of town, it's like, I kind of felt bad because you know what? I could have checked in. Or, you know, and I will like every other day or so, but I've gotten to that point where it's like, you know what, it's kind of nice to be able to just like tap out and check out and just, you know, not have to parent or think about it um, for just a span of time. I thought I was that mom that would call every night at eight o'clock to talk to the kids before oh, I, bedtime. I that very fast. And then I realized I wasn't. No. And that... And that comes with its own guilt is that I was like, I'm actually somewhere having fun, like not having to be a mom, not having to be a parent. I can just be 
me. And sometimes you forget who that person is. Oh my gosh. So I didn't, was, had no interest in dating. I, what I started loving was going home and having quiet time and being able to watch and not Netflix cook anybody. Bubble. I could eat or not eat and then just sit there and binge watch shows that I had never heard of before that I was just catching up on. So going out and doing stuff with my friends, every now and again, I would do that. But literally it was more you just appealing be to by me yourself. to be at home and have quiet time and just like literally they lay in bed and not, uh, and I felt bad about it, but I quickly got over it and life was good. So I thought I used to be an extrovert until yeah. I started delving down this road. And then I was like, no, I really just oh want to be an introvert. I, I have my eight hours of work time where I have to talk to coworkers or guests or talk to other people. But the minute I get home, I want to just shut down. Yeah. I am the person that now grocery shops with headphones in so that I don't have to talk to other people or yeah. I just get to listen to I my I might own be thing getting and... to be that person too. I got to mm -hmm. be honest. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to say this is going to work for everybody. This is just something that seems to continue to work for us. It's like, a lot of times those calls for me when I'm on the road are just out of obligation because I know I'm <laughs> supposed to and the guilt I'm going to feel if I don't, even though I don't want to. Um, however, once in a while, what comes out of it is something really useful or resourceful or sometimes there's good news or sometimes, you know, Morgan will get on the phone and say something funny that had I not made the call. Mm -hmm. um, and how does that apply to the relationship well it, it's kind of everything but it really just stems from just out of obligation because the manual on marriage and being a husband says I'm supposed to do I want to no not always does she want to hear my amazing insights after she's been through it for the entire day and I offer a solution to something that I've never laid eyes on and she's been dealing with for 12 hours I'm sure she really appreciates that however um you know at the same time, I think just, again, what seems to work right now, and we'll see how it goes. Now, it's just like we all, we, we at least have an understanding that we're both screwed together. <laughs> That's how it feels. Well, there is a little bit of comfort knowing that, like, hey, at least you have someone in your rowboat with you. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the best it is sometimes. And here's the reality, too, is if, um, if that's comfortable and you have a good enough relationship where it's not caustic, it's, you know, it works, you know, you, um, you know, I know many families that, you know, they may not have this like, you know, passionate love affair, you know, relationship, but they're really good friends. And it is, there's comfort in knowing that you aren't alone um, and you can weather that storm. And the other thing too, is I do feel like there comes about, there comes a time where you start looking at other places for the kids to live. Like right now, like I still mentally prepare that Caleb's probably going to spend a great deal of time. But then I also am now becoming more open when I'm starting to see a, see different housing um, options out there for kids with autism. So yeah, there's the group homes for the kids that are more significantly impacted by autism and they need 24-hour supervision. But now we're starting to see more options for um, supported living where they live independently, but they just have supports in place where it's like a, it's like living. I only way I can equate it is like living in a sorority or a fraternity and you have a house mom that basically kind of makes sure like rides your ass to make sure that like you did what you have to do and, um, make sure that things are done. Um, did you according remember to, to the turn rules. The oven off? Yeah. And so there are more and more of those things, those opportunities, like popping up different places. So then I think to myself, okay, well maybe Caleb won't be living with me for forever. Um, so here's one last question, then we'll go ahead and end this Can particular. So, oh yeah. Um, this is John again. So my brother is here with me and he's Cooper's uncle. Mm 
And I liked his perspective on he's had to navigate this divorce thing as well. Right. And so he's just like, oh, where do I start? Well, another thing <laughs> is, is that he's got a unique perspective and that, you know, and I haven't done everything right. I mean, by any stretch, none of us, none of us as parents have. Right. But I would say that, you know, uh, he's got a unique perspective and how he has to deal with his operation around my my ex, the, the kid's mom. And and I'm just curious to see what he thinks about, you know, I think that he might agree that I'm actually probably a better parent now than I was before. I think I'm more engaged. Uh, than I than I was before, and that's that's on me, and I accept that, of course. Uh, but I think he's got a, a unique uh, perspective to see things from. He cares about Cooper, and there's times when I uh, Cooper's in my care that I have to do, I have to work or something else, and that he's, you know, had to watch Cooper for me and and some other things. Uh, but yeah, I'd kind of like to hear his perspective. Oh, Dan. All right. How you doing? So first off, I want to my hats off to all you guys. I don't have a child that is on the spectrum or anything else. And just listening to your personal stories and everything else is really, it's humbling. And uh, so what my brother John was talking about a second ago, I, I look at divorce as a war. So no matter how any war goes, you're always going to have victims. And it, and it leaves a layer and a just plethora of casualties in its wake. So you can talk about divorce and you can say, you know, we co-parent, we do this, we do that. It's still even the best divorce, the kids suffer, you know, and, and that's, that's coming from a personal standpoint, seeing the divorce and I'm a child of divorce myself too, but seeing the, the behaviors and the kids change and everything else. But, you know, I, I hear a lot of what you guys are saying and I think one of the statistics that you, you know, the, you know, too, is divorce rate has gone up in time. You know, I mean, it, it, with struggles, people get divorced, you know, whether it's having a child with autism, whether it's doing an, uh, anything else. And I think that's something that is a society we've learned that it's OK that we can admit we don't love somebody and move on and try to find that, you know, special somebody that we're looking for. But I, I mean, I would absolutely agree with my brother in the fact that, you know, he has become a better parent in the fact that, you know, before I, I think you worked so much, you were just non-present, you know, I mean, you worked so hard that, uh, you were never really there. And I think now the time that you spend with your kids is a hundred percent better because you're present, you know, I mean, you're actually present. You're not, and when I say present, I mean, when we have conversations and we talk about, uh, you know, something and somebody's on their cell phone and they're having a conversation with you. We're talking, but we're pseudo talking. We're not, you know, no, nobody's present. And so I think that's in your situation where the parenting has gone up is when I see you with your kids in that time, you're present, you know, you're not, you're not distracted. You're not working on anything else. But, uh, I mean, really, I mean, my hat's off to, to all of you guys, your guys, the stories are all inspirational. I couldn't imagine myself having a child with autism because working with Cooper, it's stressful. You know, it is, it is very, very, very stressful. And I can see how the struggle would be in a marriage having an issue like that. You know, I mean, I've had socioeconomical issues in my marriage and things like that, but, you know, having a child high on the spectrum is a 24 hour job and you don't, and for me, it's so awkward too, because I spent most of my life in the military. So I wanted to see my kids 
and I wanted to be around them and I never had the chance, but to see somebody who, you know, is there and and when I watch Cooper having that level of attentiveness all the time, just to constantly watch how he's doing what he's doing. I couldn't imagine it being in a, you know, I can see why the statistics lead to divorce so well. Yeah. But I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I think hearing the stories, I kind of maybe came in here with a different viewpoint at first. And then hearing the stories, uh, I think it really kind of changed my opinion on the on the matter. You know, I think I think that, I, you know, the the whole co-parenting works well versus two people living in absolute misery. So, yeah, that's that's my take on it. It definitely, like I said, the, the breaks have certainly helped in our world. Um, and, you know, kind of what you guys have alluded to, it too, is that, you know, John, you probably are way more involved and um, conscious of more things going on just with Cooper's school and therapies than you were before because um, you're specifically seeking out and you have to seek that out. Otherwise, you would get no information whatsoever. Well, and some of it has become, you know, I've been looking actively at, at Cooper's future, right? And what, what his, what his future looks like. And, you know, attended a class that the ARCA Spokane put on, um, about social security and, and DDA and DDS and all these things. And, and I didn't realize, uh, what that looked like. I mean, I really didn't. And the thing, the fact of the matter was, is I was in an income bracket that didn't allow any kind of assistance from the federal government. Well, eventually Cooper's going to be on his own. Essentially, he's going to be over the age 18 and he's going to have, you know, uh, those issues where, you know, he's got to be able to essentially provide for himself, right? Well, that knowing that, I've been putting a lot of money away for him so that, you know, I can have him a trust and I'll have, you know, a family member or a professional that, that does, uh, you know, watch over him and make sure that the things are, that are, he's being taken care of. He's living a quality life. And that's all we have, I think, for any of our kids, I think is, I just want him to have the the most productive, the most enjoyable life that he can. And it doesn't look like my life, your life, his brother's life, his sister's life, his life, his fulfillment is completely in a different place than any of ours will be. And that's one of the things that's been hard for me to wrap my head around the fact is that, yeah, he's never going to go to prom. You know, he may not have this or that or the other thing, but I think that Part of what makes him interesting and part of why I feel like he's missing out is the very reason he's, he's having such a quality life. Those things aren't constraints on his happiness. His happiness is a happiness that none of us will understand. And that's something that I have to hold on to and have to believe because, you know, it's, it's hard not to, right? And I believe it's true. I really do. After watching Cooper, and Dan knows this, Dan knows when Cooper's happy, he's the happiest guy in the room. Well, I, I, th I think happiness is something that's relative. So if we, you know, a, a person that's not on the spectrum judges happiness in one aspect, it may not be ha happiness for a person on the spectrum. And like he said, his son, you can see his eyes light up and you can tell when he's happy. You know, I mean, even, even, uh, you know, I mean, you can tell, you can absolutely tell. The one thing I was going to say is, and Michelle, maybe, you know, with Cooper, because of his just level of understanding, um, you know, you can't really explain to him what divorce is and what this is going to be mean going forward. Um, Michelle, how did you explain like the divorce and what that meant for your kids? Cause I know that that's, um, you know, when I talk to families and parents that, um, 
are just starting out, it's that I don't don't even know how I would explain this to my kids. You know, your kids, let alone your child, um, you know, with with autism. So, is how did you go about explaining? So mine was a little bit of a unique situation because um, my ex-husband ended up having to leave the state pretty drastically for rehab. Oh, okay. And so this was a matter of one day that person is here, the next day that person is not. And the hardest part was for me was knowing that how detrimental my ex-husband was for Aiden, but then Aiden held that person with such high esteem and he loved that person. And even to this day, he still wants to absolutely be involved with that person and having to say, like having to find a way to explain to Aiden that, no, you cannot be with this person. You cannot be around him. No, you're not going to go visit him. No, you're not going to talk to him on the phone. Like, it was the hardest thing as a parent. And even now to this day, Aiden still will ask me questions that I don't think I can fully answer. Sure. Because it's adult information. And, you know, even though he's 13 now, his understanding of that stuff is not necessarily where it should be. And so, I mean, even to this day, he'll ask me questions. We just had the conversation last night where... You know, in his mind, I was going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Nothing was ever going to happen to me. And I'd say, well, I was like, you know, Aiden, when I'm not here anymore, I'm like, you have to take that dog with you. He's not living with me after I'm gone. Well, what do you mean? And it's like even just having to have like something so severe as a conversation like that can sometimes seem super overwhelming with him where I have to just be very factual. And that is a very hard thing to do when our tendency as parents is to sugarcoat. We want to sugarcoat and we want to make everything seem okay. Like, no, it's okay. Everybody's happy and, you know, we're all better off now that that person, you know, this person's happy in their world and we're happy in our world and everybody's going to be fine and great. And in reality, that's not always the truth and that's not always the case. And it's very hard when you're dealing with somebody on the spectrum because they just need factual information because that's where they live and that's where okay. And bringing up the happiness thing I think is is a great thing because I have a tendency to want to force on the happiness of things that make me happy or that I know will make my other children happy. Like the honor roll ceremony is a huge, you know, example of that because they do a specific dance for these kids in the honor roll. And in my mind as a parent, I'm like, that's such a huge thing. That's so great. And how exciting. And I don't understand why you don't want to go. And then it's like, I have to stop and remember it is loud it is lots and lots of children there and is putting him on display where he doesn't like to be. And so I had to really come to my terms and be like, okay, so maybe we're not going to go to that honor roll ceremony, but that doesn't mean we're going to celebrate this any less. For Aiden, happiness is a Big Mac. Two Big Macs, if I'm being honest with myself. Like that is 100% his happy level. And so we had to just start celebrating those moments in Aiden's way. And I had to stop, like I have to stop myself and remember that what I think is going to make him happy or something that's going to celebrate is not always that case. And that's been a huge growth for me because he finally decided on his own. He wanted to go to the honor roll ceremony. Oh, I was going to say, I did see it on Facebook. So, well, please don't mention that because I got in a lot of trouble. The last time I posted the video from the uh, special needs dance that was hosted from the Ark of Spokane. And I was promised I would not put a video on Facebook. And I was like, he's never going to see this. And somebody narked me out. Oh, yep. And I got so into a you told me. lot of trouble because he changed the background of my phone to a giant black widow spider, knowing I hate spiders. And oh, yeah, very I, I have learned I can't mess with Aiden in that regard. But that that picture's on there. And if anybody sees him, he, they're not to mention it. We yeah. don't talk about Heard it. Heard it here first, people. Just keep it. Um, but he went and he danced. And I chaperoned. And that was the coolest moment for me was seeing him actually do the Macarena. He was off in a corner by himself, like down a hallway where nobody could see him. But he did it. But I have to remember that that's not always going to be his 
reality yeah. of the happiness. And so I think that's a great thing to mention. So one thing, and then we'll um, actually end this particular podcast. So uh, a lot of times you struggle trying to explain it to kids on the spectrum. And I had to have this um, conversation with Caleb because he's still, of all of the kids, he's the one that's a little bit the most pissy about the whole thing. But the reality of it is, is that if you ask him specifically what about the divorce has him upset, it has nothing to do with like this wonderful relationship between his mom and dad that has ended. It's really that he gets pissed off that he has to remember to grab his crap so that he has it when he's at his dad's house and that if he forgets something then it's just a very big inconvenience that he has to then wait until Sunday afternoon at four to be able to get his stuff and you know I do try I you know early on because I don't want the kids to feel like they're held hostage to the schedule you know I will say hey you know I happen to be going to Walmart so I am going to be driving past your dad's apartments I don't mind stopping and dropping this off so I've tried to do that but um, every now and again if it doesn't work in my world Caleb still expresses the fact that he is um, disgruntled about this divorce even though it happened five or six years ago so one of the analogies that I found to be the most successful is I asked Caleb what, how he would feel if he woke up one morning and accidentally put his shoes on the wrong feet. So his right foot's on his left foot and his left foot is on his right foot. And he says, well, that would be horrible. Like, it'd be very uncomfortable. And it's like, yeah, but what if I, what if you woke up and I told you that, oh my gosh, your shoes are on the wrong feet. It's probably not very comfortable, but you have to like wear your shoes like that every day for the rest of your life. I said, because it's functional. I mean, you can still do PE, you can still climb trees, you can still do any and everything that you would normally do. It may not be the most comfortable, um, but it's still functional. How would you feel? And he says, well, I would just be very, very mad. I said, okay. So when you get married to a person, you know, you marry when you're young and it feels like, hey, this is what I want for forever. But then one day you wake up and you realize it's like marriage is like having your shoes on the wrong feet. When you finally realize that you're married to the wrong person um, and it doesn't feel good, you think, Caleb, that it would be acceptable to tell mom and dad that we have to stay married to each other for forever, even though it's just not a comfortable fit. And that was the only thing that he could really That's a great then, point. Um, start conceptualizing so that he understood that, you know, that is the same analogy. It's functional, but it's not the most comfortable. Wouldn't you like mom to wear a pair of shoes that is like the most comfortable pair of shoes that I'm excited to wake up every day and, and, and wear and same thing for daddy. Um, and he didn't, outwardly agree with it because he still gets pissed off that he still has to be responsible enough to grab his shit. Um, but he, I have never heard him actually complain about the aggravation of the divorce because, you know, at the end of the day, he does have empathy and compassion and, you know, he wants us both to be happy. So now we have just the little checks, checklist system that he has before he leaves in order to try and hopefully have him remember to grab all of his crap. But anyway, so on that note, unless anybody else has like an epiphany moment that they want to add, we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism of the Wild. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.